such a delight to see everybody here. Welcome in church. How many of you, this is your first time in the last uh, bunch of months? Praise God. It's great to have you with us. Um, our good friends, Leif and Jennifer, he, he just texted and said he's watching with us this morning. I want to say hi to you guys. Especially, it's nice to have you. <clears throat> really appreciate you guys and thank you. Before I get into the message, let me talk about something. This is, uh, I, I was thinking about what to say about an offering this morning, and, I, and I, the Lord led me to this scripture, and I, to be honest, I don't quite know why. Uh, but it's for somebody in the meeting. And uh, so uh, if, if you ever doubted that the Lord knows who you are and why he wants to speak to you, this is it, right? So there's probably about two people that is gonna be relevant for the rest of us, so I'm just gonna be gracious to them. Is that good? Amen. Second Kings 5, there's a story where um, Elisha, the, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy called Naaman, and he has got leprosy, and he's, he's an Aramean, and he, he goes to his king, and he's, somebody has a little slave girl, and she's from Israel. <clears throat> she says, you, you ought to go over there to Israel, because there's prophet there, and he, you just get healed there. And so he, he, the king of Aramea says to him, yeah, go. And so the king writes a letter to the king of Israel saying, listen, I'm sending this guy so you can heal him. And the king of Israel throws up his hands and goes, I can't heal anybody. And, and so Elisha writes to him and says, listen, don't worry, send him on by. And so he, uh, he comes with his entourage. Uh, and, but the, the, the story says that he brought with him copious amounts, about 750 pounds of silver and about 300 pounds of gold, which is in today's, I, I checked it out, it's about three and a half million dollars worth of stuff he brought with him and 10 sets of clothing. Not your common or garden, you know, everyday clothing, this is fancy clothes. So he arrives and, he, and uh, he's expecting Elisha to come out and be dramatic and wave his hands and he does none of that. He says, listen, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And he almost misses it, but somebody convinces him to go do it and he comes up and he's instantly healed. So he comes back to Elisha's house and he goes, listen, I brought all of this, this three and a half million worth of stuff and, and I just wanna leave it with you. And Elisha says, I won't take a single cent, nothing, nothing, no, no. And the guy says, no, no, really, really, come on, I brought this. And Elisha says, no, thank you. As surely as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll not accept the thing from you. And so he goes off, and uh, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, says, you know, the guy had three and a half million. He was ready to give it. Why don't I just go and say maybe tithe on that? So he runs off to him, and he says, listen, yeah, uh, Elisha changed his mind. I, I will take some of that silver and some of the gold and, and, and just two sets of clothing. And so he brings him back, and hides them and then he comes to Elisha and Elisha says to him, where have you been? He goes, no, I've been, I've been here out, you know, washing the mule and he goes, no, no, <clears throat> my spirit was with you when you went there. And uh, he says, uh, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or male and female servants? This is what I feel like the Lord is saying. You know, there are moments when the power of God is going to stand by you, and the power of God will see you through, and God will make a provision for you that is a supernatural provision, but you need to listen to the Lord's voice, because not every time there's a provision, He wants it to come to you. Does that make sense? So what we need to learn to do is to be responsive to the Lord with our finances and in our obedience. Because I feel like the Lord is going to, I really, let me just prophesy for a little bit to the businesses in our, in our church. 
I believe the Holy Spirit is going to start to move things. And some of you are going to find doors opening. And some of them are going to be big. Some of these deals are going to be millions of dollars worth. And there's going to be millions of dollars on the table. Not every time that happens is, is, are you the intended person. Sometimes, I just, this is for some people in this place, sometimes the Lord is going to allow you to, to say no or to hand that away to something else because there are some kingdom projects that God has in mind to be launched through this church that are not always going to be um, focused on us. Is that good? Then I just want to say thank you so much for your generosity during this time of COVID. We keep giving away money and then keeps filling up. You know, we, keep, we have this benevolence fund and the food pantry fund, and, we get, and then we gather the pastors and we dump a whole you know, bunch of thousands of dollars at people, and then by the time we come back the next week, it's filled up again. So we just, it's just a delight to see your over, overwhelming generosity, and we honor you for it. Uh, today, we're going to change things up because we're not going to send an offering round. If you, if you are here and you do want to contribute here, most of our people, 90% of people give online, and, and we encourage you to do that. But if you, there is a, a, a basket over there and a basket at this door. So when you leave, if you, if you do have the money and you prefer to do a tactile, you can, you can put it in one of those, um, either one of those bowls over there and there at the doors as you go out. I want to continue today in our sermon series, They Devoted Themselves. They devoted themselves. We spoke last week about the reality that we are creatures of devotion. We're created for a great romance. There is something that's supposed to come off our lives, wired for connection. There's supposed to be this fragrance that of devotion and love and intimacy that flows from us. So there's an inner yearning in our spirits designed by God, and that fragrance of the devotion that comes off our life is going to be directed somewhere. Um, you are either going to deliberately direct your devotion or it's going to leak out some way. Have you ever met somebody who says, yeah, I, I don't believe in God, but, but there, there, there is a God on their life. You can see it. It's sort of, that's the thing they devoted to. Devotion leaks out. It'll find a focus in some stage. David put it this way. He said, this is the prayer to the God of my life. Uh, and so the question is, what's the God of your life? Looking back over your life, who has been the God of your life? Who has been the one that has captivated you, that has held your heart, that, that all your devotion, all your discipline, all your focus has been to that? He is the God of my life. Now, in Israel, in the Old Covenant, uh, part of the sacrifice that had to happen every day uh, was a morning and evening sacrifice, which was a whole lamb burnt, burnt offering. They just put the lamb on the thing and just burn the whole thing. And as part of the deal, every day, the high priest, or the, not the high priest, the priest had to burn incense in the morning and in the evening inside the tabernacle. So that the, the tabernacle was not filled up with a stench of burning flesh, but the, with the fragrance of an incense that was beautiful. And so uh, a very specific guideline was given in the scriptures about how to make this incense. And it was an incense that was only allowed to be used in the tabernacle. And so the, the, the priests, there was a special priestly family that made up this, this incense that was unique to the temple of the Lord. And there are four that are mentioned in the scriptures, four ingredients, but there were another nine that the rabbis say that was included. And it was a very special ingredient that made the smoke. When you burnt it, it went straight up. Nobody knew except that family how to make the smoke go straight up. Anyway, the, um, so there's all this intrigue around the incense. 
And uh, they would make 368 portions of this incense at one time at the beginning of the year. And they would use it every year, but over the, the extra portions were for, for the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would take two portions into the most holy place and he'd fill it up with smoke so that when he went in, he didn't see God because God lived there. That's what they believed. So the interesting piece about all of that, and it's a sermon for another day, but the, the, the grinding and the crushing and the whipping and the beating and the squeezing and the bruising, because all of these ingredients um, came from different elements. Some, some were crushed, some were ground, some were whipped, they were, some was uh, reeds that they beat and then they'd crush and then they'd... All of this uh, crushing, grinding, whipping, beating, squeezing, bruising uh, that has gone on in your life ends up producing a beautiful aroma when you dedicate it to the Lord. So it's not just that when we come to sing praises, it's because I'm on a high. It's because life is just beautiful for me right now. Many times the praises that we bring are, are out of bruising or beaten or, 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 or I've been whipped. Does it make sense? Am I preaching to anybody yet? So sometimes when we bring those praises, sometimes that element that has been ground to pieces that you feel like this, I've been ground down in my heart, but I bring that to the Lord. It's like a sweet smelling fragrance to the Lord. And so whether you understand it or not, your life offers up a fragrance to God. You have a devotion and it rises to heaven. We are people who are called to be devoted to something, and it should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first church, the Bible says, devoted themselves to a few things, and, we, and we've been looking at that in the series. The first church devoted themselves, and that was extremely important to them because four years later, a wild and violent persecution is going to break out against them at the hands of a young man named Saul, and he's going to come from, uh, he's got a list of them, and he's coming from house to house. He's coming after them. He is grabbing them, men, women, and children, throwing them in prison, beating them. Some of them are being killed. Saul is angry with the church, and so the church explodes out of Jerusalem. The whole church is scattered under that violent persecution. And the Bible says that those people who had formerly devoted themselves to these things now went out everywhere preaching. And I wondered about the church. It just, it just stuck in my head. If, if a mighty and violent persecution broke out against our church, would we go out everywhere preaching? Or would we go out and hide See, these people, the, the pressure did something because they had devoted themselves. And so what we devote ourselves to in private will be made manifest in public. That's the simple truth. And while we love coming to these meetings, I'm so loving being with you. I so love worshiping with you and seeing you. Uh, I want to I burn this mask and just hug everybody. You know, it's like that. I just want to go, hey, it's so nice to have you. And, uh, and so, yay, even so, destroy this COVID thing, Lord, soon. But I, I've, I've got this thing in my heart. It's just a joy to be here together. But that's only half of the plan. It's not just enough for us to come here, although this is beautiful. It's what we devote ourselves to in private, in the secret places. That makes more difference to the church. See, I believe the Spirit of God is going to move, and is, this sounds like it's about to feet. Is it hearing? Is it just me? So it, it sounds like for me, the Spirit of God is going to move, but he, he doesn't just want to move on Sunday mornings in this building. 
The Holy Spirit wants to move into our society. He wants to break out. He wants to transform these United States so that he can change the world. There is a glory coming. It's a revival that we've not yet seen, but it's not going to be limited to the four walls of the church. Oh, it is going to happen on Sundays here. But more importantly, it's going to happen through you out there, wherever you are. And so it's more important, I believe, for what is coming that you and I learn to devote ourselves in secret to certain things so that when the move of God comes, you are ready for whatever God has for you. Are we preaching yet? Amen. Acts 2. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs done by the apostles. Today, we're going to look at the fact that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, there's some debate as to what that means. Jesus instituted the breaking of bread at the, at the Passover meal, and that was the practice, therefore, of that early church. When he said, do this again in remembrance of me, uh, it was in the context of a meal. And so very often the churches would have a meal, and they would break bread at the meal, just as they did with Jesus and so the breaking of bread of the first church was somewhat different to the breaking of bread. We tend to have you know, small elements like this and we celebrate a, a kind of a, a, almost a sterile, holy, we make it, it becomes a holy moment. But to these people, it, it wasn't any, any more, it wasn't like, oh, this is, they would break bread together and they'd love one another. And then, and then they would say, hey, remember what Jesus did for us. So their, their breaking of bread services tended to be longer, and oftentimes they were called love feasts because there's nothing as good as a family meal when everybody who's there wants to be there. Amen? It's just a really, really cool, that, that for me is about one of the best things, when you're sitting in the room with all, the fa all your family who love one another and they're just all shiny-eyed and full of love, it's just nothing beats that. And that's what it was like for the early church. We'd come together as the family of God and said, man, let's just have a meal together. And while we're having this meal, we're going to break bread and say, remember what Jesus did for us. Now, in the ancient Near East, that was a common practice. Uh, a common commitment to one another was developed at a deep sense of fellowship around meals. That was a common understanding. So a meal shared together was both a mark of friendship and a seal of that friendship. Now, it was the same in, in, in the whole culture, common pagan religions, it was always, the, a meal was always the central rite of the religion because it was believed that not only did we eat together, but we ate together with our God. And that was what Israel did. Israel came up seven times to Jerusalem and they would share a feast. God said, this is my party. I want my people to come to my party. I'm inviting you seven times a year to come to Jerusalem and have a celebration. And, and part of what you had to do is a tithe, 10% of your money was to get you there and to buy the food so that you could have a party. And you would sit there at, uh, at a massive table with the priests and the Levites and you had a supper with them and God. That was the idea. Now, uh, the, the big public churches were not yet around when this scripture was written. Like only in the third century did Believers start having buildings that were churches and dedicated for services. They never had that in the early church. So the Bible says they met in one another's homes and they broke bread with glad and sincere hearts. And so it's a very exciting thing. Now, let me just get there. Sorry, my, my iPad joined something else. 
we're called similarly to a, a devotion, just like the first church did. We have to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. So I, I, there are four things that come to mind when I, when I come to the breaking of bread. I wanna share them quickly with you, and then we're gonna participate in the breaking of bread and, and believe God for these four things. Number one, the first power of breaking of bread was that it's, it's a remembrance. It's to remember and proclaim what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus said, I, this is what Paul said in Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what was passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So fundamentally, it's a remembrance. It's an opportunity to remember what Jesus did. I, Jesus said, whenever you eat this, remember. Don't be forgetful. Because one of the worst things we can be is forgetful. Forgetting that we've been cleansed from our past sins. Forgetting that we've been liberated from our past life, forgetting that there is no condemnation for us, forgetting that the enemy has no authority over us, forgetting some very fundamental truths. Jesus said, take this meal in remembrance of me. Remember what I did for you, and the next time you eat it, you will understand what I'm talking about. Because when Jesus said that to them, he hadn't yet died on the cross. So they didn't yet know what he was talking about. He just said, remember, they go, okay, I'm sure we'll remember this meal. I think they were looking around going, it's not that, well, Carl, remember. But then the cross happened, and then the, the manifestation of his broken body and his shed blood, and then they understood, oh, okay, now they remembered. But remember that my body was bruised for your sins. Remember that it was crushed for your iniquities. Remember that the punishment that brought you peace was put upon me. And remember that by your stripes, the stripes that were laid on me, that you will be healed. Remember that by this blood you will be cleansed. And when another accusation proves your guilt in a specific area, remember that this blood was shed to pay for that one as well. Proclaim it loud and strong. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord on my soul. This is a time for remembrance and proclamation. Do it bold, do it strong. Remember that this blood cleanses you from all iniquity and all unrighteousness because you believed. And when you believed, when you confessed, I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. When you made that confession, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive you from all unrighteousness. And when you come together again, you proclaim your freedom again with loud praises and you announce it with shouts of joy. I left death and the grave behind me. I'm walking in great freedom. See, sometimes we just have to, see, Jesus, Jesus understood this. He goes, listen, listen. Hey, guys, I want you to do this whenever you get together. I want you to do this often. And then when you do this, I want you to remember. Remember that this body and blood represent a perfect sacrifice. Eternal in its duration, entire in its scope, and once and for all sacrifice to do away with sin, as Hebrews 9 says. Otherwise, Jesus didn't go again and again and again to have to offer these sacrifices, but he would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once 
for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. When Jesus made this one sacrifice, he did away with sin. Not little sins, not the ones, all sin. Jesus absorbed and punished and broke the back of all sin of all mankind of all time. Excuse me, I'm gonna do a little happy dance. Because there wasn't even an amen. Remember, Jesus said this is a remembrance issue. Remember that his sacrifice was always his plan, that this was the, the eternal will of God that Jesus accomplished when he came to earth, that, that it's always his dream to show you how much he loves you, that he's not mad at you, but there is a deep, inexplicable, all-consuming, all-surprising, all-surpassing love that no one will ever be able to separate you from. <laughs> His covenant of peace with you will never be removed. Proclaim, my sin is gone. I've been redeemed. There's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. I've been emancipated. Remember that this body and this blood that you eat, proclaim that you and Jesus have been made one. You've been submerged into Jesus' body and you're no longer an individual. You're part of the body of Christ. That's never gonna change. It's never gonna get old and it's never gonna go away. This is a meal of remembrance and proclamation. He doesn't have to die again, but we have to be reminded again. And that's why Jesus instituted this. And so I need to be reminded, so I take this meal with my family and I take it with my friends and I remember the beauty of this gospel and I proclaim the goodness of my Lord. That is what this first and foremost is about. Do this in remembrance of me for whenever you do, you proclaim. And that's an important piece. The second one, this I wanna just take a little time on. We may run out of time, but this is the power of the breaking of bread is to recognize the body of Christ. Corinthians 11, I'm not gonna read it all, but Paul basically writes to the Corinthians and says, I, I don't have anything good to say because you guys are messing up. He said, you come together and you, you have this, you, you come for the Lord's Supper, but then some of you have brought uh, duck pate, chicken liver pate with duck orange. And, and some of you, you know, brought just a loaf of bread because you couldn't afford anything else. And then the people who brought the duck Laurent said, I, I don't want these, these, uh, these horrible people with no palate eating my duck Laurent. And so they would scoff it quickly before the bread eaters could get near. And, um, and they were just, they were just uh, exalting themselves and being selfish. And, and, and Paul is horrified by this reality. He goes to the church. He says, listen, you're coming together and you're supposed to be sharing the, the Lord's Supper, which is a demonstration of the unity of the oneness of the body of Christ. And you are doing exactly the opposite. You are modeling exactly the opposite, that, that you are causing damage to the body of Christ in the way you're acting when you're at the Lord's Supper. You're not acting accurately, not correctly recognizing the body of Christ. You don't understand that you owe one another an allegiance, that you have a debt of love between you, that you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, this is why some of you are sick and are dying prematurely because what you're doing to the body of Christ is being made manifest physically in your bodies. Fix that and this will get healed. Go and read it. Corinthians 11. I, I didn't have time. 
But being part of Jesus' body means that I have to be open-hearted and open-minded, inviting others to this family party. But, the, but in Corinth, the hungry poor were being embarrassed by the intoxicated rich. They were actually literally getting drunk because they were drinking the stuff so quickly because they didn't want other people to have. And what was supposed to be the Lord's Supper in recognition of his body, Jesus had purchased people from every tribe and nation and tongue and ethnicity, and we're all supposed to sit at this meal equally loved, accepted, and celebrated. And because surely, surely, surely the body of Christ should demonstrate the work of Christ. Surely we should demonstrate love for one another. Surely we should be above race and uh, socioeconomics and uh, um, gender. We have to start loving one another and accepting one another that goes beyond how I used to be able to differentiate myself in Adam. We're no longer Adamites, we're now in Jesus Christ. And when you were brought into the body of Christ, you became one. And that should be demonstrated when we break bread together. That is an opening of my heart and an opening of my mind to people who don't look or think or talk like me. Amen. Amen. And I don't, you know, the world doesn't have to get this right, but we do have to get this right because that's what this body and blood was shed for. It's one of the things that must happen in the church. We must recognize the body of Christ. And if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you and I are partners of the same body, and I owe you a debt of love and allegiance. Revelations 5, Revelation 7, they sang a new song, and, and because you were slain and with your body, with your blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, and standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Friends, the kingdom of God looks like that. And you and I are ambassadors of that kingdom, and we are supposed to demonstrate that kingdom here on earth. Oh, 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 no, Greg, my nation, we're going to be, you know, there's a special place in heaven for us. No, there isn't. We are all one in heaven. Now, this meal that we partake of is where the dividing wall of hostility is destroyed and we find common ground and common cleansing in the name of Jesus. Jesus has made of the two warring parties one body. He broke down the wall of hostility, and in himself, he has remade our identity as in Christ. There's no greater animosity than between that of Jews and Gentiles, but Paul says in Christ, these two warring factions have been made one through the body of Jesus. Jesus had a purpose to make peace by creating a new humanity, Born again creations, brand new on the earth, a new species of being, not hindered by Adam's nature, no longer warring, but bringing peace. Ephesians 2 says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. I'm not making this up. That's what the Bible says. Jesus died, and one of the reasons he died is that in his body, he broke down the dividing walls of hostility. So Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, writes in chapter two about how he had to rebuke Peter publicly because when Peter 
was having, when they were breaking bread together, when they were eating meals and they were breaking bread and remembering what Jesus had done and there were Jews and Gentiles and they were all celebrating together as one big family and then some people came from James, some Judaizers came from James and they, when they came, they, they, they tut-tutted and huffed and puffed like you're eating with Gentiles and so Peter began to withdraw and go and eat at the special table with the Jews and even Barnabas was led astray, Paul says, by that hypocrisy and so when I saw that they were not acting in line with the gospel. They were not celebrating the feast that Jesus died to provide. They were separating themselves. Well, we Jews are a special breed. Paul rebukes him to his face in public. You know why? Because it's a big stinking deal. <laughs> Peter was sanctioning a perspective that the Jews and their habits and their laws were superior to the Gentiles. Now, whether he was doing it deliberately or by suggestio falsi, but just by allowing that to grow, this, the, whether it was that or an outright, it created an impression that was false, and Paul rebukes it because he says, you cannot participate of this supper and, 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 and preach that gospel because that is contrary to the gospel of this meal. Am I preaching to anybody here? So, so then Paul, that's chapter two. Chapter three of Galatians, Paul brings up, he says, now listen, we who have believed are all sons of God. But what he means by that is the son, the, the eldest son was the one who got the double portion of inheritance. And Paul says, listen, listen, listen I have some great news for you. Uh, uh, whether you Jew or Greek, male or female, whether you slave or free, it, it's got nothing to do with it. You've all become sons who inherit You've all become that beloved child. Galatians 3, 26. For you, because you believed, are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. It's not Gender, ethnicity, or social standing that has any bearing when it comes to this body and this blood. What, comes, what has bearing is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and when you did, you were entered into a grand celebration. You were invited to the big feast, sit at the big table where the favor of God is dished out to his children and you and I share boldly in that. I participate in this feast to recognize the body of Christ as it is expressed on the earth. People like you and me who have believed. And I open my life to them. And all the rich and unique differences and perspectives. Because when I do, I can discover what the scripture calls of the riches of the glorious inheritance that God has put in the saints. This meal is to teach me to recognize the body of Christ. Number three, this meal is to, is to help me rejoice in the new covenant. <laughs> in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The most serious form of a commitment between two parties is a covenant, and a covenant in blood is the most serious of all covenants. When, uh, when you cut 
when blood is shed in order to seal the covenant, it's seen to be the most binding. And when you believed, you entered a covenant of the most extreme and serious type. It cannot be broken. It is binding on both parties. It ties the parties together in a way that puts a love debt on both of us. And you have a covenant partner who is the greatest warrior who ever lived, who has never lost a battle, and he is bound to you by blood oath. Doesn't that do something for you? The cries of his son bound you to him. You're in a covenant with a God who is wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations, whose glory is bigger than the universe that he created, and it cannot contain him. The wisest being that exists, who planned all of this out from the beginning, has promised in covenant to guide you. The kindest person you'll ever meet has made himself constantly available to you by blood oath. The comforter has drawn himself near to you, and Jesus has promised he'll never leave you. It's sealed in blood. You have a covenant and when you take this blood and this body, this is the blood of the new covenant. This meal celebrates that new covenant. Covenant people giving ourselves over as living sacrifices, which is our part of the covenant, serving as ambassadors of a different realm, bringing spiritual sacrifices to God, thanks and adoration and devotion and prayer and love. Hebrews 12 says, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The mediator of the new covenant is Jesus. He's also the sacrifice and the blood that sealed it. He's the one appointed to speak for you, and when you believed on him, his blood cries out on your behalf. His blood cries out for mercy. The blood of Abel cried out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy and forgiveness and for favor on you. You've been emancipated from the law, now brought under the law of the spirit of life. The breaking of bread teaches us to rejoice in a new covenant because it's the blood of the covenant. Lastly, the power of breaking bread is to resist the enemy's schemes. Revelation says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to give up. Breaking of bread is a mechanism to release peace. It stirs our hope and thereby it banishes unbelief. Breaking of bread sets our thinking on things above. It aligns us with heaven. It drives out worldly thinking. Breaking of bread is a celebration of the greatest testimony from the author and finisher of our faith that what the devil thought was his greatest victory was in fact the greatest victory of Jesus. That God could not only turn the worst tragedy into the greatest victory, but he's the one who planned it all along. Makes you wonder about some of the things you think are tragedies. Whether the Lord might not flip them and make them profound. The power of breaking bread allows us to resist the enemy's schemes. It allows us to say no. Is the enemy accusing you? Then this blood will shout that accusation down. 
Is the enemy attacking you? This blood will secure your victory. Is the enemy belittling you? The blood assigns you a great value in the kingdom. The face of God is turned towards you. His ear is gonna be set to be attentive to your cries. Is the enemy trying to place infirmity upon you? The stripes that Jesus endured and the blood that he shed there will take care of that sickness. Is the enemy lying to you and saying God is far away and angry? This meal testifies that you have been brought very near and made one with Christ. This meal is supposed to take names and kick butt. So let me get, if you would uh, go ahead, we're gonna, we're gonna practice those four right now. Sorry, I, had to, I, I rushed through that last piece, but I'm sure you got the picture. Basically, we said these four things. This body and this blood is to remember what Jesus did for you. <clears throat> Can I just say, um, th there are a couple of things that I feel like the Lord has in his heart. Um, Can you just pass me my phone, please, Lord? Sorry, now I've got it here. Just uh, show it up here, thanks. I got it, thanks. Uh, I just wanted to know, is there, um, the, the Lord spoke to me a couple of really specific words because I, I think he wants to do something. There's a, there's a man, I believe, called Keith in the 15th of May. I think that's a significant date for you. I think it's your birthday. Is there, is there Keith here on that date? Are you in this meeting? Keith, May 15th, that's your birthday. I'd like you to get hold of me, Keith, because there, there's a few things the Lord wants to say to you. And then there's a, because there's a, there's a lady called Catherine that's connected to you, Keith. That's, and then um, there's a lady called Beth. I think August 15th is your birthday. Uh, in, in Beth, yeah? No. Yeah, might, it might be online. If, you, if you're online, just get hold of me. You can contact the church. And, uh, but Beth, there's a tender kiss from Jesus. There's a, there's a tremendous healing coming for you. And I saw hope arise in you, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's gonna do something profound. We're coming to this moment where we're gonna take those four things. We're gonna remember what Jesus did for you. And some of you need to remember. Some of you need to know that that sacrifice that he made, it took away every sin, every shame, every brokenness, every weakness. It has completely exploded all of that nonsense out of your life. It's made you brand, shiny, acceptably new. And Jesus loves you. And the full favor of God has turned towards you in Christ Jesus. Some of you need to just have the Holy Spirit help you to recognize the body of Christ. And maybe some of the people you thought, yeah, I don't have to open my whole heart to them because they, they're not actually like us. Well, if they believed in Jesus, they're just like us. And you owe them a debt of love. Some of us need to rejoice in the new covenant. <laughs> some of you forgot that you're in a covenant with the most awesome being in the universe. Blood covenant. He'll never back out of it. And you're acting like he, he backed out of it already. Now he's with you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. He'll never stop loving you. He'll never remove his covenant of peace from you. Never, never. That's what this is for. And some of us just need to just say no to the enemy's schemes. Some of us just need to say to the sickness that's been trying to get into our bodies, be gone in Jesus' name. Because by this body and this blood, Jesus the straps were laid upon him. 
on his body and his blood was shed so that I can be healed. Whichever one of those four, maybe it's all four of those. For that, I want you to just lift this up. I'm gonna ask Michelle to come up. She had some words. We're just gonna lift this up in just a mile, but I, I think there were some specific words of, of the Lord wanting to break stuff off our lives. During the worship time, I had such a strong sense that there were people here that were struggling with shame. And I, I saw the Lord just breaking shame off, especially as we just welcomed the presence of God. I felt so strongly that the Lord was just breaking um, chains of shame, breaking off guilt and heaviness. And then I asked him, Lord, what is your perspective on this? What are, what are you saying over your people? And he took me to Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God in the midst of you is a mighty one, a savior. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest. And in his love, you will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. And so I felt like the Lord just said his heart towards you. Specifically, if there's just an area where you have been struggling, I felt like the Lord said his heart towards you is one of great joy as his child. He's not holding your sin against you. He's not holding your shortcomings against you. But rather he's drawing you to himself. He does not recall our past sins and neither should we. And so what we're about to do now, as we, as we take the, the blood and the bread, we are in the spirit realm, we are resisting the accusation of the enemy. So I just wanted to share that with you. And if that's specifically for you, I wanna encourage you to come to our ministry team at the end of the service. And let's yeah. come in agreement with you as we, as we just break that off because you're gonna leave here free in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hold up the body and the blood. This is the body, a representative of the body of Jesus Christ. This is a representative of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we take these, we're doing all those four things. We're remembering, we're recognizing, we're rejoicing, and we're resisting. And when we do those things, you're gonna see something happen. I just wanna agree with that word. The Bible says, if you have sinned, you'll be forgiven. So we've so by the authority of the Word of God, I speak out forgiveness of every person who's struggling with a guilt. You come to Jesus, it'll be washed away. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you. Take it in remembrance of Him. This is the blood. It's called the precious blood of the Lamb. There's nothing else in all of creation like it. Only this blood can wash away all the sins for all time. This is the blood of the Lord Jesus by which he made a covenant with you. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we've just come to lift up praise and adoration, worship and sing, your, sing a song of the Lord. Say, Lord, what can we say to the beauty and the power of this? We remember and we proclaim we rejoice, Lord, in what you're doing. We recognize what you did on the cross and we resist what the enemy is saying. I speak out, Lord, I release voices. Lord, I release your fire for your people. I release your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I break sickness off your people. I dislodge it now, break it, and command it to go. But I release fire, Lord, into bodies because by your stripes we were healed. We give you honor, Lord, we thank you for these, our friends who are here, our friends who are watching. What a beautiful thing your body is, Lord. 
How delightful your people. In Jesus' name.